Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. A Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. Elizabeth Smith was driving along the Ockenharvey to Tarvez Road in Kingudi, Aberdeenshire. It was still dark in the early morning of May 27, 1994. As she travelled alongside a grass verge, the beams of Elizabeth's headlights illuminated a bizarre and unnerving sight a man crawling in the grass. Just seconds later, Elizabeth's eyes were drawn to flames nearby. Something was on fire. She rolled her car to a stop and rushed over to attend to the man lying on the verge. Elizabeth discovered his name was Malcolm Webster, and the fireball not far from where they were now standing was his car engulfed in flames. Elizabeth asked if there was anybody else inside the vehicle. Webster replied no, before later correcting himself and saying, Yes, my wife. He may look unassuming, but is one of the UK's most calculating killers, a serial womanizer and fraudster. He was a pathological liar, driven by greed. What we're talking about here is... You were holding the hand of your sister's murderer at her gravesite. At the time, I was holding the hand of my sister's husband. That's how I perceived it. But in reality, 
Uh, in reality, I was, yes. I was holding the hand of her murderer. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 33 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Between laboured breaths, Malcolm Webster explained to Elizabeth Smith that he had been driving along the rural road with his sleeping wife, Claire Morris, when he was startled by a motorcyclist hurtling straight toward the car. To try and avoid the oncoming vehicle, Webster said he swerved sharply, causing his 4x4 to career off the road, slam into a tree and then burst into flames. He said he managed to crawl out of the car, but his wife was stuck. Only seconds later, Elizabeth and Webster saw the burning vehicle explode. By the time the police and paramedics arrived at the scene, they were powerless to save Claire from the inferno. Malcolm Webster was rushed to Aberdeen Royal Infirmary where his condition improved. The case was determined to be nothing more than a tragic accident. Almost 14 years later in March 2008, it was announced that the inquiry into Claire Morris's death had been reopened. However, following his wife's passing, Malcolm Webster had not stuck around, quickly leaving the country. He eventually settled down in New Zealand with another woman, Felicity Drum, but two years after they were married, history repeated itself. Webster appeared to be incredibly unlucky on the road when he was involved in another accident mirroring what happened with Claire Morris years before. On February 12th, 1999, Webster and Felicity were driving along a rural road in Auckland when their car hurtled off the road and slammed into a tree. Both Webster and Felicity survived, but when Felicity went to the hospital, she complained that she was experiencing blackouts and had been for some time. A toxicology report showed that she had been drugged with clonazepam, a sedative used to treat epilepsy. Drowsiness is one of the initial side effects, and according to medical experts, one milligram of clonazepam is equivalent to around 20 milligrams of diazepam. This was not the first dangerous incident Felicity had faced whilst involved with Malcolm Webster. And unfortunately for him, everything was about to unravel. Investigators back in the UK had again decided to look into Claire Morris's death. The similarities between the crash and what happened to Felicity Drum were far beyond a simple coincidence. Luckily, following Claire's untimely death, samples of her blood had been stored. Forensic experts re-examined the vials of blood, and when the results came back, they proved the investigators' suspicions. 
Claire Morris had been drugged prior to the deadly car crash that took her life. Malcolm John Webster, originally from Guildford in Surrey, followed in his mother's footsteps and chose a career in the care profession. His position was versatile and meant that the son of a former detective chief superintendent in the Mets fraud squad was welcomed into roles across different counties and even countries. In February 1990, he met Claire Morris at a nurse's party in London. Just the following day, he made a romantic gesture by sending her a bouquet of flowers and a box of chocolates. The attraction was mutual, and love bloomed quickly after the pair entered into a romantic relationship. Claire's mother, Elizabeth Morris, later recalled a conversation with her daughter. She said to me she knew she would marry him straight away. Webster and Claire moved to Aberdeen in Scotland, and on September 3rd, 1993, they were married in a traditional ceremony at King's College Chapel. The husband and wife purchased a cottage in Aberdeenshire, conveniently positioned near King's Seat Hospital, where they were both employed. Claire was initially content, but her mother Elizabeth disapproved of her choice of partner. Instinctively, she thought something was wrong, and there was something odd about Webster, but she couldn't quite put her finger on it. Elizabeth said, I must say I didn't like Malcolm. I never said anything to Claire, but I think she might have got that impression. Claire appeared very happy with the relationship. She was besotted with him. Elizabeth began to notice changes in her daughter's personality and behaviour. Claire became more withdrawn. Elizabeth felt as though this was all Webster's doing and remarked, She was such a strong-willed person that it seemed odd she would allow herself to be told what to do. Claire's mother certainly didn't trust Webster. But what could she do? Claire was an adult who chose to marry the man she thought she would spend the rest of her life with. Claire seemed happy, and if Elizabeth mentioned her concerns, she was worried it could damage her relationship with her daughter. However, in time, Elizabeth would come to learn that she had every reason not to trust her son-in-law. Frequently throughout their marriage, Webster drugged Claire with clonazepam. She had complained to friends that she was struggling to concentrate and was constantly fatigued. She finally sought help from doctors and was subjected to multiple tests, but medical professionals were at a loss and could not find a cause for why she was feeling so unwell. They had no idea that her husband had been spiking her with clonazepam. During that time, 
Malcolm Webster persuaded his wife to take out 11 insurance policies and a mortgage protection plan. Not as mentally sharp as she would usually have been, Claire went along with signing the documents, no questions asked. A month before she lost her life, in April 1994, Claire was involved in a serious car crash. The vehicle had veered off the road, landing on its roof, but neither Webster nor Claire was seriously hurt. Not satisfied when this plan failed, Webster again attempted to use a similar method to kill his wife, and tragically this time it worked. On the night of May 27, 1994, Malcolm Webster had drugged Claire with a heavy dose of clonazepam. Her eyelids began to feel heavy, and she was starting to feel drowsy. After a short time, she passed out. While Claire was incapacitated, the second part of Webster's plan was put into action. He carried his immobile wife out to his car. He took the rural road, driving down an embankment near King Goody in Aberdeenshire. He had placed a can in his car filled to the top with petrol. He feigned a car crash in the dark and set the car alight before making his way up the embankment where he was spotted by a passing motorist. Inspector Ian Murray was one of the first police officers to arrive at the scene. He observed Webster standing around the burning vehicle, but not too close. It was noticed that while Claire was trapped inside, Webster never attempted to save her, nor did he beg anybody else to rescue her either. He just stood there with a glazed expression on his face. In fact, at first, Webster claimed that nobody was inside the car when Officer Diane Taylor asked if there were any passengers. The flames were so intense that nobody could see inside the vehicle. As the car was burning, paramedic Robert Gallen arrived. He noticed Webster standing beside a fire engine, which had since pulled up. Gallen described Webster as appearing slightly confused. When the paramedic looked at Webster's face, he could not see any singed hair or evidence that Webster had been burned in the inferno. When the blaze was finally extinguished, everybody on the scene recoiled in horror as they realised that there had been another person in the car. Claire Morris was burned beyond recognition. The flames had been so fierce that she needed to be identified by dental records. Furthermore, officers were perplexed to find that the front passenger seat was fully reclined and Claire was lying down. Malcolm Webster was transported to the hospital where he was found to have a normal pulse rate and blood pressure. There were no burns or evidence of smoke inhalation. 
Webster told staff that he remembered trying to get Claire out of the passenger seat on his side, climbing up the embankment, then losing consciousness and waking up in the ambulance. However, this was substantially different from the recollections of the witnesses at the crash site. They all said that Webster was conscious and that he was telling them nobody else was inside the car. While in the hospital, Webster complained of headaches and weakness to his right side. He was given a variety of tests, including a CT scan, but doctors could find nothing to explain the alleged symptoms. It would have been easy to believe that trauma from the accident had impaired his memory at the time, but in the aftermath of the crash, Webster was careless and told various stories to different people. To some, he said that Claire was asleep in the car, while he told others that he had heard Claire screaming as she burned to death. Before his wife had even been buried, Webster claimed a widower's pension of £10,439. Over the next couple of months, he submitted claims on a number of insurance policies, stating that Claire had died in a tragic road accident. Webster was able to obtain a total of £208,815. The money enabled him to go on a spending spree, splashing out on a yacht and a new 4x4. By 1995, Webster had sold the home he shared with Claire, packing up his belongings and moving to Saudi Arabia. In May 1996, Webster met Felicity Drum. By 1997, the couple had moved to Felicity's hometown of Auckland in New Zealand, where they married. Coincidentally, however, Webster's second wife would also begin to experience similar symptoms to Claire Morris, suffering double vision and drowsiness. Felicity sought help from her GP, but much like Claire, they could not identify a cause. They suggested that she could have been suffering from a viral infection, epilepsy or even a brain tumour. Felicity was utterly unaware she was being drugged with clonazepam. Webster got away with it before in the UK, so his strategy remained the same. It began on their wedding night, Felicity had slept for 36 hours after Webster gave her a cup of tea laced with the drug. Bearing in mind clonazepam can cause a number of severe side effects, particularly in large doses, it was understandable why doctors were leaning toward a serious illness. The NHS website lists side effects such as disturbed sleep, including vivid dreams feeling sleepy or drowsy in the daytime, feeling light-headed, unsteady or dizzy, and muscle weakness. The common symptoms list suggests that your breathing becomes very slow or you have short, shallow breaths. 
You find it difficult to remember things or are confused. You see or hear things that are not there or think things that aren't true. You have problems with your coordination and controlling your movements. Over time, Malcolm Webster had Felicity in the position where she agreed to make two wills, leaving everything to him. One was made in Scotland and another in New Zealand. Webster also asked Felicity to open two joint bank accounts with him, but Felicity was unaware that her husband had taken all of the money, more than £35,000 for himself. Growing unsatisfied with the wills that Felicity had made, Webster fraudulently signed a life insurance policy in Felicity's name. If she were to die, he would have received two separate insurance payouts of £514,026 and £242,000. By February 1999, Despite Webster's plan, Felicity was pregnant and gave birth to a baby boy, Ned. Ned's father showed as much regard for his soon-to-be son as he did his wife when Webster continued to dose Felicity while she was pregnant with their child. The inexplicable symptoms continued but one evening after becoming unwell when eating a bitter meal that Webster had cooked, the light bulb went off. Felicity confronted her husband, asking if he had drugged the food. Webster broke down in tears and staunchly denied the accusation. He suggested that Felicity was simply tired and run down. On the morning of February 12, 1999, Felicity was again feeling drowsy. Webster told her he had made an appointment with the bank to arrange a deposit on their dream home. They both climbed into the car, and as they headed along the motorway, Malcolm Webster pretended that the steering wheel jammed and he lost control of the vehicle before it careered down an embankment. They were travelling at high speed toward a streetlight, but Felicity grabbed the steering wheel and turned it toward Malcolm. It was clear there was absolutely nothing wrong with the vehicle, and Felicity was able to manoeuvre the car so that the passenger side did not slam full speed into the light. Felicity was oblivious that before getting into the car, Webster had placed a can of petrol a lighter and newspapers into the boot. Webster quickly got out and rushed around to the back of the vehicle, screaming at his wife to stay in the car. Felicity ignored her husband and managed to get out, witnessing Webster quickly moving away from the boot. They both escaped with minimal injuries, but Webster avoided any angry questions from his wife when he feigned a heart attack. They were both transported to the hospital, but doctors could find nothing wrong with Webster. Felicity described the strange blackout she had been experiencing 
before a toxicology report showed that she had been drugged with clonazepam. She then discovered that Webster had forged her signature on several insurance policies. Months earlier, Felicity had refused to sign the documents, but around the same time her parents' home where she and her husband were living mysteriously went up in flames. Webster tried to skew the situation in his favour by saying to his wife, that just highlights the need for insurance. Felicity was unaware that her husband had set the fire in an elaborate attempt to make her sign on the dotted line. What's more, she also discovered that all of her savings had been sent to Webster's bank account in Aberdeen. It quickly dawned on Felicity that Webster had attempted to kill her. He planned on stealing all of her money before travelling back to Scotland to pursue a life as a single man with his ill-gotten gains. Upon realising what danger she was in, Felicity immediately went to the police to report her fears, but it was too late. When they went to arrest Malcolm Webster, he was gone. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. 
ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing. That's where Scent Air comes in. With over three decades of experience, Scent Air leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Scent Air is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit scentair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Scent Air diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Scent Air app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code among us for an extra 25% off your first order at centair.com. Claire Morris's toxicology report confirmed that she had been drugged with the same sedative as Felicity Drum. Upon the discovery, a police source said, This is a remarkable development in the case. New tests on Claire's blood were ordered after the New Zealand case came to the attention of Scottish police forces. Police in New Zealand had issued four warrants for Webster's arrest regarding the drugging of Felicity. Other warrants included arson which related to the fire at the home of Felicity's parents. As the fugitive was nowhere to be found, the hunt for Webster began. Police in New Zealand, Scotland and England asked the public to keep an eye out for the elusive man. Tips came in straight away, with people in both Devon and Cornwall believing that they had spotted the unremarkable-looking middle-aged suspect. He was also seen in Scotland, namely open in the Argyll and Butte area. It would be some time, almost a decade in fact, before there were any further developments as an extradition order was not issued, but feeling the net closing in around him, Malcolm Webster handed himself in to the police. He had moved to Oban in Scotland. There he was employed by NHS Highland, eventually working up the ranks to a managerial position by 2004. During the reinvestigation, he sent an email to a local newspaper insisting that he did not kill Claire Morris and lambasted the so-called allegations about his second wife Felicity as outrageous. Webster further claimed that the warrants in New Zealand did not exist. A back and forth between Webster and the New Zealand police followed. Responding to Webster's claim, a police spokesperson stated, We can confirm that Malcolm John Webster is the subject of four warrants for his failure to appear in the North Shore District Court of New Zealand on July 13th, 2000. They are still live. 
Two of them are for arson. The third is for selling, giving, supplying, or administering a drug. And the fourth is for disabling or stupefying his victim, his then wife. Webster defended himself by writing to a New Zealand newspaper. He stated, My first wife's death was a tragic accident, and there is not a single day I don't think of her. She was the most perfect person I have ever met. I will be more than happy if they wish to speak to me, but I am not suspected of killing anyone. As Malcolm Webster spoke with officers in the UK, more crimes floated to the surface. While living in Oban, he became treasurer of the Oban and Lawn Angling Club. But in early 2008, it was discovered that Webster had stolen around £5,200. To try and avoid the consequences, Malcolm Webster did what he usually did when he was about to get caught. He vanished. It was at this time that he was reported missing, but he handed himself in at a police station hundreds of miles away in Bodmin, Cornwall. He had shaved his head and told the police and the other people at the angling club that he had been diagnosed with leukaemia. Andy MacArthur, who had taken over as treasurer, said he claimed he had leukaemia at exactly the same time as he was acting inappropriately over the club funds. It was a dirty trick to pull. It put committee members in an extremely awkward position. If someone has a medical condition, then you don't want to ask them about financial issues. It's hard for those of us who have friends and family with cancer to understand how someone could lie about this. It seems he played the emotional card in the hope we'd forget about the cash. Predictably, it was not the only outrageous lie that Malcolm Webster told. He claimed he had a wife in the United States who was on life support. After a while, people at the angling club began comparing Malcolm Webster to Frank Abagnale Jr., the legendary conman portrayed by Leonardo DiCaprio in the film Catch Me If You Can. As all of the disturbing details of Webster's past began to surface, the police hired a criminal profiler who branded him a psychopath. According to a reporter with the Mail on Sunday, the profiler said, He will have done things in his past and will continue to do so in future. It is all for financial gain. His driving motivation is money. Investigators would then uncover that while embezzling money at the angling club, Malcolm Webster was engaged to another woman, Simone Banerjee. Simone had met Webster back in 2004 when they both worked at a hospital in Oban. The couple struck up a friendship before entering into a romantic relationship in 2005. Simone was drawn to Webster, describing him as a very nice, well-spoken, well-dressed gentleman. 
Webster confided that his wife Claire had died during a tragic car accident. He said that he had no desire to ever marry again. He mentioned nothing of his second wife Felicity, nor did he tell Simone that he had a son living in New Zealand. Unaware of his past, Simone fell hard for the charming Malcolm Webster. But then one day he sat down and gave her some awful news. Webster said that he was dying of cancer. Simone was distraught, telling the man in her life that she had never met anybody so unlucky. First of all, for their wife to die under such traumatic circumstances and then to be diagnosed with a terminal illness. It made sense to Simone that Webster should move into her detached home in Open. She loved Webster, and feared that he would not have much time left. Simone wanted to make that time count. So when Webster proposed with a platinum and diamond one-carat solitaire ring valued at £6,500, Simone said yes. She had no idea that Webster was still married to Felicity Drum, his wife in New Zealand whom he had attempted to kill before fleeing the country. Over the next couple of years, Simone stood by her new love. When he drove to Royal Marsden Hospital in London, allegedly for cancer treatment, she flew over to meet him. She was unprepared to see him after his appointment with no hair or eyebrows. However, she was ignorant to the fact that he had simply shaved his hair off and never received any kind of treatment. It was all a vindictive ruse to get precisely what he wanted. After a while, Simone decided to bequeath her entire estate to Webster, which included a £300,000 home in Open, £50,000 in shares, and half a stake in a 38-foot yacht. In preparation for the upcoming wedding, Simone bought traditional Indian outfits for both herself and her fiancé. Her parents approved of the marriage, which meant the world to Simone. However, throughout the relationship, she observed that Webster lived well beyond his means and was frequently in debt. Slowly, Simone found herself freely giving her husband-to-be money, funding his lavish lifestyle, before she too was unable to service her debts. She was only made aware of Webster's past and his fake claims of cancer when she was contacted by the police, who explained that Webster was under investigation for the murder of Claire Morris and the attempted murder of Felicity Drum. Simone confronted him in their shared home in Open and handed him back her engagement ring. Webster tried to explain telling Simone that it was all lies and that Felicity had, quote, psychiatric issues and a drinking problem. However, he did concede that he had lied about having cancer. Speaking about the confrontation, Simone Banerjee later told a packed courtroom 
he went absolutely white. He went very, very quiet and at that point I wished I was not in the room. I had never seen him like that before. It was quite terrifying. On February 1st, 2009, Malcolm Webster was finally arrested and charged with the murder of Claire Morris, who died a decade and a half earlier. Webster was also charged with attempted murder and numerous counts of fraud. It would be a further two years before the case went to trial, supported by an investigation that had been running for five years before that. On February 1st, 2011, a jury consisting of nine women and six men was sworn in at the High Court in Glasgow. Malcolm Webster was standing trial for the murder of Claire Morris, and the attempted murder of Felicity Drum in New Zealand. There were an additional 50 charges against him, including offences in Scotland, England, Saudi Arabia and New Zealand, which spanned 18 years. The prosecutor told the jury that Webster had killed his first wife in a stage car crash, and then attempted to commit a copycat attack with his second. The motivation for both crimes, the prosecution said, was to inherit hundreds of thousands of pounds from his spouse's life insurance policies. Simone Banerjee was the first witness to testify, but the last victim of Malcolm Webster's ruthless greed. She described their relationship to the court and reeled off the lies Webster had told. While on the witness stand, Simone was informed that Webster had been romantically involved with three others during the time he was in a relationship with her. These three women were Brenda Grant, Catherine Brown and Anne Hancock. Anne Hancock told the court she first met Malcolm Webster here at Glasgow Royal Infirmary when they were both doing a course about moving and handling patients. She thought he was polite, generous and charming. They became friends and then in October 2007 their relationship became romantic and intimate. Miss Hancock said one of her colleagues had nicknamed Webster Dr Death because he was studying assisted death and euthanasia. She agreed it was intended as a jest. Webster's prior partners testified, including the women he was seeing while involved with Simone Banerjee. They all said the same thing that they were wooed by Webster before being told he was dying of cancer. They also revealed that Webster had told them all a different version of events when it came to speaking about how Claire Morris had died. Brenda Grant was flown in from Kansas City in the United States to give evidence for the prosecution. She told the court she formed a romantic relationship with Malcolm Webster in 1995, but it only lasted about a year. Ms. Grant told the jury that Webster became extremely emotional when he talked about the death of his first wife, Claire Morris, in a car crash in Aberdeenshire. She said he'd told her he'd fallen asleep at the wheel. Another ex-girlfriend said Webster had taken her to Claire's grave. He told her he'd been trying to avoid a drunk motorcyclist. 
Several of Webster and Claire's friends testified that in the weeks leading up to her death, they had noticed a number of petrol cans in Webster's car. One friend, Susan Campbell, told the court, Ask Claire if there was something wrong with the car. She said there wasn't. There was fuel in the back of the car. It was so bad that I suggested we open all the windows. She said Malcolm used to carry the cans of petrol because he was afraid they would break down on the road. Other friends revealed that after Claire was killed, they had an inkling her husband was involved. It was not until the news eventually got back to them of Felicity's attempted murder that they came forward to the police with their fears about Claire's death. Derek MacDonald, a firefighter who attended the first crash scene, told the jury he was also suspicious. He examined the area around the crash site. He found no skid marks or disturbed debris, which he would usually expect at a similar scene. When he checked over the vehicle, he found minimal damage, which was also unusual for such a crash. Fire examiners and expert witnesses were called to offer their professional opinions. They all arrived at the same conclusion. The scene was staged. The jury then heard from Elizabeth Smith, the unfortunate early morning motorist who had found Malcolm Webster crawling in the grass near the scene of the alleged crash. She told the court that at around 12.30am, she had been travelling along the same road when she spotted a car driven down the embankment with its headlights on. She did not see anybody near the vehicle. Elizabeth drove past again sometime later, which was when she saw a male figure who turned out to be Malcolm Webster close to a vehicle on fire. Felicity Drum would be called to the witness stand. She spoke of their honeymoon and the symptoms she had experienced while being frequently drugged by her husband. It wasn't just as a a wife um, and partner um, that he betrayed me, but it was at a financial level, it was at the loss of belongings, um, trust, you know, we had a child together. Uh, he stole my future from me as well as everything else. Felicity relayed to the court that one afternoon she had accused him of drugging her. Webster broke down, denying the accusation before chillingly commenting, You would have died happy. Malcolm Webster testified on his own behalf, certain he could convince a jury that he was an innocent man. Webster told the High Court he only had a vague memory of what happened during the inferno that killed Claire. He said it was a tragic accident, and he did not know why she could not get out of the vehicle following the crash. Webster could not explain why he couldn't help his wife free herself, 
He had plenty of time to do so, but no attempt was made to save her. In fact, he initially told emergency services that no one was in the car. The fire had started 10 to 15 minutes after the initial crash, according to the evidence, and Claire was a slight woman, while Webster was a tall and stocky man with no reported injuries. Derek QC said to the defendant, It was only after it was obvious the car was engulfed in flames and there was no prospect of any rescue that you mentioned your wife had been sleeping beside you. Webster replied, I don't remember these conversations. During closing arguments, the court heard how Malcolm Webster was thousands of pounds in debt. He had a knack for spending vast amounts of money on non-essential items like antique clocks, even if the money was not his. This was something both the prosecution and the defence agreed upon. Still, they differed when it came to whether Webster was guilty of murder and attempted murder. Defence counsel Edgar Prey's QC told the jury that yes, his client was a liar, a fraudster and a philanderer, but that did not make him a murderer. Following the judge's summary of the case, the jury were then sent to deliberate. Before they retired, Judge Lord Bannantyne said, You can take as long or as short a time as necessary. Thank you for your careful attention, which you pay during the course of the charge. The jury returned with verdicts less than four hours later. They found Malcolm Webster guilty of the charges, which included murder and attempted murder. With the legal proceedings now over, it was the longest criminal trial with a single accused in Scottish legal history. Webster was subsequently sentenced to life with a minimum sentence of 30 years behind bars. Malcolm Webster committed murder, conned and robbed women who loved him to fund his insatiable desire for wealth and to pay off a never-ending trail of debts. One of his former lovers met him in 1995, the year after Claire's death. One of the things that makes me the angriest about the whole situation is he absolutely played on people's um, emotions. I mean, who in their right mind would pretend to have leukemia? So where are we now? In the aftermath of the trial, Claire Morris's family suggested the initial investigation was botched. DCI Phil Chapman insisted that all lines of inquiry were followed and there was nothing at the time to suggest Claire's death was anything more than a tragic accident. Claire's brother Peter spoke about the person who took his sister's life. My sister's funeral 
Malcolm Webster actually held my hand and was shedding tears as I was. And I have no concept of anybody that could fake that level of emotion. Blair's loved ones fought to get her name changed on her headstone. It read Claire Webster, and they wanted it amended to read Claire Morris. Malcolm Webster owned the grave, and surprisingly the family needed to ask him for permission. He refused their wishes, but eventually the council agreed to have the gravestone amended after a petition was signed by thousands of supporters. Shortly after the verdicts were handed down, it was announced that Malcolm Webster was being investigated over the deaths of three children. They had died under Webster's care at a hospital in Abu Dhabi. All had suffered cardiac arrests in 1989 while he was on duty. Investigators now feared he had, quote, experimented on them with drugs. He had been suspended hours after the third death, but no charges were ever filed against him. Webster denied any wrongdoing. Due to Islamic culture, which forbids autopsies, the children were quickly buried and their cause of death was never determined. There was insufficient evidence to prove that Webster was responsible. In 2011, Webster appealed his sentence, arguing that he was the victim of a miscarriage of justice. However, two years later, the Court of Appeal in Edinburgh rejected the appeal. Malcolm Webster currently remains incarcerated at Schott's Prison in Lanarkshire. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.